0: Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Are you ready for Bible class today? And a good service following? Amen. And a good day today in the Lord. Amen. Let's just praise the Lord and worship Him and thank Him for the privilege of being in the house of God here today. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessings to each and every one of us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. We ask you to touch our lives and hearts that your presence and your spirit be with us, God. Guide us, lead us, direct us. We thank you, Lord, for all things. We praise you. You're the great God of heaven, Lord, and the Savior of our souls. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbors, shake their hand, greet them, tell them they look very nice today. Amen. Praise God. Last week, we uh, talked to you about uh, some of the things in the Old Testament that are types and shadows of the New Testament type of living. We talked to you about Israel being in the wilderness. Today, I want to just refer to a couple of them, but from the standpoint of the natural implications, that is, what they were back then, and, and how things begin to develop and shape in Israel because of the things that happened. In those days, as you know, uh, Moses led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years and then brought them into Canaan's land. Last week, we talked to you about how that God gave them his word. And when they got to Canaan's land, the manna stopped, the quail coming stopped, the shoes quit, wear, quit started wearing out again, their clothes started wearing out. Everything changed back to the natural and the normal. And uh, but they had the word of God. And the Lord said, if you'll keep the word, the word will always stay with you and all my promises will be fulfilled. And of course, Israel had that promise. They went in and and the Lord said, now conquer the land, take the land, possess it, drive out the heathen because they will be a stumbling block to you if you do not. We talked to you last week about how that's a type of us coming to the Lord and we do not put sin out of our lives. We allow certain things to stay in our lives. And we could go on and on talking about different things that we allow to exist in our lives when we should drive them out and they become a besetting sin. They beset themselves against us and war against us and fight and oppose The word besetting means like surrounding a city and an army does and besets the city. And so a sin can become a besetting sin to us. And uh, we talked to you about that in using it as a spiritual thing. Now I want to just mention to you here, back to the natural that's with Israel. When Israel went in, they did not drive out the heathen. and so when, what happened? they begin to just compromise, they settled in, begin to farm the land, enjoy their inheritance without driving out the heathen. In time, in time, the heathen began to influence the children of Israel. And the children of Israel began to adopt certain of their habits, their ways, uh, and the worship of their gods. And then when they would do that, God would allow them to be overrun by those heathens. And they would come under under subjection. The heathens would put them under their power and their authority. And they would become like uh, slaves in their own country to these heathen, other heathen nations. Then they would pray and God would deliver them and bring them out. And that period of time it was called the period of the judges. Uh, that's when you had S- Samson was one, Gideon was another. Uh, you had, I think, about 13 of these judges. Samuel was the last of all the judges. <clears throat> and uh, God would deliver them by these judges. And then Israel would, would, would do right for a while. And those, that period of time lasted for about 400 years. It was called the roller coaster area of Israel. They would be on top, serve God. And they would begin then to follow the way of the heathen. They'd all go down again. I mean, they'd do right for 20, 30 years, 40 years, and then they would go back the other way. And then they'd go up, and they had this roller coaster period of time that they went through up and down, up and down, up and down, until finally the Lord, through Samuel, who anointed him, sent David. And when David came, David came with a new understanding about God that other individual Israelites had not seemed to tap into. What, uh, what God saw in David, he said, he's a man after mine own heart. In other words, this man said, Lord, you're more than just laws and rules and regulations and obey this and obey that, but you're a God who loves us and you're a God to be worshipped and you're a God, oh Lord, that uh, has shown mercy and kindness and, and all of that and you're worthy of praise. And so David began to, Worship and praise the Lord. And when God raised him up to become king, he wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And by doing that, he then he set up worshipers in the tabernacle, with the tabernacle, to worship and glorify God, magnify God. And God gave David victory over all of his enemies, united all Israel together under him. And Israel was at a, a zenith whenever they were under David. David passed this uh, this, uh, this position that he had or this empire of Israel that he had, he passed along to his son Solomon. Solomon uh, was a very good man when he first started out ruling. And I talked to you about Solomon and how that he tried to rule in his own wisdom beyond the wisdom of God. God had said in his word that when you have a king, he's not to heap to himself wives. You're not to marry all these heathen daughters and so forth thinking that you can bring peace to yourself, that's exactly what Solomon did. And so in Solomon, in doing that, again, the a type of us, you, our wisdom will never supersede the wisdom of the Word of God. Sometimes the Word of God goes against what we think is real clear thinking or the way we look at things. Stay with the book, stay with the Word. God will always be faithful to us. Solomon did not do that. And I'm telling you all of this because I'm bringing us to a point here so around 1000 BC, when, the, when Solomon was, became king, he built the temple, which replaced the old tabernacle. Instead of being you know, the old tabernacle given in the wilderness, now it was a beautiful edifice, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, it was a marvelous building. And uh, <clears throat> the presence of God dwelt in that place on earth. And uh, so Israel was very fortunate. But in time... Uh, they began to fall away and influenced by these heathen uh, daughters who had married Solomon, and they began to say in his old age, Solomon, build us a little temple here, a little temple there, a little worship center there, up in the mountains, in the woods, uh, the groves, you know, build us a little worship place there. And Solomon allowed all this to happen. And as he did, he brought heathenism back into it. So God said when Solomon came to the end of his Years, I'll not take the kingdom from you, but when you're gone, the kingdom will be divided. It will be divided. And when Solomon died, his son became king, uh, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, whenever he became king, he was mean and tough on the people. And so your northern half of Israel separated themselves from him. And the southern part stayed with him. Now, I'm going to give you a map to show you this. And I have a reason for telling you all of this. I'm going someplace with this. And it's going to have to do with prophecy. Okay? Uh, this is how this uh, shaped up. This is a map that I had over here while I go to test our camera. See how it's looking to you. But this, uh, what I'm showing you here is the land of Israel. This is the, I'm about to lose my pen here, excuse me. This is the uh, Jordan River and uh, the Sea of Miriam, and then the Sea of Galilee here, where my pen is. And then the Jordan River flows down through here. And then this is the Dead Sea down here. Now, when the the kingdom divided, it divided along about these boundaries here. Now, these different colors are the different tribes of Israel. There There were 12 altogether. And because Joseph was given the rights of the firstborn, which is a double inheritance... Both his sons was counted as a separate tribe. One was Manasseh and one was Ephraim. Ephraim. And so here's Ephraim, Ephraim, and here is Manasseh. Manasseh was divided into East Manasseh, West Manasseh. They were the sons of Joseph and so forth. Simeon settled down here in southern Judea and eventually were absorbed into Judah. When the separation came, Benjamin says, We are too close to Jerusalem. We'll always be loyal to Jerusalem, and to the temple. And so they sided and stayed also with Judah. So what you have here are these other tribes over here, uh, 10, you, have, you had, you know, there were 12 sons of Jacob, but there was 13 whenever you had these uh, tribes divided, Joseph's tribe divided. And so they became what was called the 10 northern tribes. So you had two sister nations uh, starting about 1,000 uh, B.C., uh, with uh, Solomon's son ruling the southern kingdom, and Solomon's servant called Jeroboam ruling, ruling the northern kingdom, and right from get go, he married a Zidonian and she was mean as a snake. And, uh, and then there was Ahab came along later, and she was as mean as a snake, his wife. And these were heathen uh, kings' daughters who were now queen of the northern kingdom of Israel. You get the picture here. And little by little, they led the people of Israel further and further and further away from God. And uh, finally, the Lord came to the point where he says that I can no longer tolerate the, uh, the, the heathenism that is in Israel, and I am going to judge them. Uh, in 721 B.C., he allowed the Assyrians, Assyrians, not Syria, which is north of Israel, which is actually just north of here. But, he, but the Assyrians, which was over north of Babylon, is between the rivers, between the Euphrates and the river. It's the, the old Mesopotamia as we would think of it today. Uh, and uh, I guess you could also, it, today it would be northern Iraq, northern Iraq. And uh, the people in that area uh, got on a war path. They came over and they conquered the northern kingdom here. And they took the people and they scattered them and threw out all around their nations and dispersed the children of Israel in different places and then they took people of their own tribes and brought them in here and put them down here and mixed them in with the, what was Israel. So that northern kingdom became zilch. Uh, the, the guy who was the head of it was a, uh, was a guy by the name of Shenacherib. and Shanakarib was the guy who laughed at God when he came to conquer Jerusalem. And he laughed. He said, you think your little wall here is going to keep you from me conquering you? And he laughed at him. And, uh, and so uh, Isaiah went before the Lord and prayed. And the Lord spoke to Isaiah and said, you go tell Hezekiah, the king of Judah, they're not going, they're not going to take you. We're, you're, they're, going to, they're going to get an evil report back home and they're going to head back home and they won't ever touch you. And this is exactly what happened. And Shennacherib, when he went back home, he had rebellion in his own country. And next thing you know, he was a dead man himself. And so God knows how to deal with all those things. And so God never allowed the southern kingdom here to fall to that northern kingdom, that other, as the northern kingdom had, to this country of, of, of uh, Assyria and uh, so forth. This was 721 B.C. Time rocked along, time rocked along, 100 uh, and say ten years or twenty years, fifteen years, whatever it was, and Judah kept getting worse and worse. She had sometimes good kings, sometimes bad kings. But as time went along, the kings it seemed got worse and worse and worse. Where they did not respect God, they did not keep the, They shut the temple down. They said, oh, "We don't need the temple. Uh, who go? Who wants to worship at the temple?" And so forth. And uh, they just got worse and worse. Finally, God said it's time to judge them. So by this time, Babylon had become the big power in the east. This is southern Iraq. <laughs> this is way down near Kuwait. Uh, if you, look on, you looked on the map, I'm sorry I don't have the maps to show you all of that. I should have brought those. But you know, they, they, uh, they they, were in that part of, of of what's called today Iraq. And Babylon began to go out and conquer. And it was led by uh, a young uh, new king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar began to conquer everybody and everything and, and he came over here and he conquered Judah but he didn't destroy it. What he did was to conquer it and he told the king you get off the throne and put him in jail or something and he said your brother you get on the throne and you rule you rule, and as and long as you pay your taxes to us and send us the tax money that you are supposed to be paying. Everything will be fine. And then Nebuchadnezzar went back to Babylon. But when he went back, he took 10,000 of the choice young people of Israel. And one of them was Daniel. And three and, and, and three others that were with Daniel was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three friends of Daniel. And he took those four young men. Uh, they were probably, uh, we don't know how old they were, but... Anywhere from 15 to 18 years old, they were young teenagers. When you read the first chapter of the book of Daniel, it calls them children. But when you read the second chapter, which is only a year later, it calls them men. So they had to be young men. Sometimes, speaking of children, they were the children of Israel, you know, and so forth. But they were young teenage young men who knew they had been taken captive, that they were in a strange land... And they said, there are some things that we're not going to abandon. We're going to stay with our Jewish way of living for God. We're going to pray every day. We're going to always face uh, toward the J- of Jerusalem. We're going to pray in that direction. All these kind of things they established in their own selves as young people. Now, I want to say to all of you here today, we're, we're the senior class. I think we have a group of young people coming up in this generation that is really going to be really greatly used of God. And I'll be very honest with you. You know, I, I think some of the time we look at it and we say, oh, young people this way, young people that way. But I see some of them with something going on inside of them and a commitment that's in their hearts and a desire to see the move of God. And I think we're going to see those things. I think those things are going to come about. I see something in our young people today. That's... Something that Daniel had, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had. They had this thing on the inside. Well, they went there and they were with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and so forth. I'll just jump ahead and tell you very quickly. And uh, uh, This was in 606 B.C. that all happened. In uh, 599, uh, just seven years later, Nebuchadnezzar came back to Jerusalem, took that brother off the throne, Put another brother back on the throne and said, this one here has done bad. I'm going to put you on the throne. You do right. You do well. And, uh, and I will, you know, I'll honor you. It was in that return captivity that he took, uh, he took Ezekiel back with him. Ezekiel was a young man as well. Only Ezekiel was not of the priesthood. I mean, he was not of the kingship. He was of the priesthood. And he took him back and he lived in another part of Babylon never was connected with Daniel, but they all lived in the same area over there and so forth. And uh, then in 588 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came back the third time, mad as a hornet, and this time he destroyed the city, the temple, burned everything to the ground, and everything was just demolished, and then Jerusalem would then lay in ashes. And he did that on the third time. But going back to that first year, 606 B.C., when he had conquered it, in the second year, The second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he dreamed a dream. Everybody still with me? All right. I want to talk about the dream now. I want to take this off the screen. And uh, I want to talk to you about this dream. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter 2. And the reason I want to read this is because this is the beginning of what we know of today as prophecy. It all began right here. And uh, I'm going to read some scriptures to you here and lay this out for you here and give you some charts over here to, to look at as well. Uh, I had a man ask me last week over at the uh, Family Life Center when we were uh, looking at the various ministries of the church. And uh, he asked me, he says, do you, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay, do you believe Donald Trump is the Antichrist? <laughs> we're going to talk about the Antichrist a little bit in this, you know. But he said, do you believe that Donald Trump is the Antichrist? I said, no. And he said, why not? I said, because too many people dislike him. (laughs) Now, listen to what I'm saying. Too many people dislike him. The Antichrist is going to be loved by everybody when he comes on the scene. Remember that. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, the whole world is going to love him. He's gonna be—he's I mean, gonna be loved by everybody until finally, in the three and a half years, he's gonna show his true colors. That's not the case with Donald Trump. So just rest in peace. We're still there, but there is commotions and there are some commotions and troubles going on, and we're seeing those things, and so it's letting us know that that is also spoken of in the Bible. I'm gonna show you in the scriptures where that is, and where all these things are happening in the Bible. Therefore, we know we're close to the coming of the Lord. We're close to the coming of the Lord. And uh, the Bible says in Hosea 6, 2, that Israel uh, would be scattered throughout the world and be blinded as a nation as well to the fact that Jesus was their Messiah for two days, two days. And on the third day, I'll raise her up. And then, of course, there's a scripture in the Old Testament in Psalms as well, but also one in 2 Peter says, a day with the Lord... Is this a thousand years and a thousand years is one day? And also we know that the Lord said to Adam and Eve in the day that you of this fruit, you should surely die. They did not die in 24 hours. They died within a, a thousand years. Uh, Adam was 930 years old when he died. Nobody has ever lived beyond a thousand years. So within a thousand years, that's the day that the Lord was talking about. It's called a dispensational day. So when you read that in Hosea 6, 2, after two days, I will bring Israel back into my grace and reestablish her as a nation. So I'm pointing that out to let you know that uh, we are near that period of time. We are in, I mean, zero date is supposedly when Jesus was born, uh, even though they, they say that's off by about three or f- about four or five years. Uh, but zero date is when Jesus was born, and we're living now in 20. Uh, so we've already had 2,000 years past, so we're 2017 now. And so we've got uh, we've already passed 2,000 years. So we're in the third day. You get you get the picture here, and so I'm just pointing all that out to let you know that it is time for the Lord to bring all of this, wrap this all up. So when we start seeing all these things come to pass, He says, "Then look up, for your redemption draweth nigh." Now it all starts in Daniel, and this is where it all started when the children of Israel. Uh, First, the northern kingdom had been scattered in all the world. And folks, they never returned. Those people never returned as a nation. They stayed scattered, and they're still scattered. That's why Jews are all over the world even to this day. There's been two two times that their temple was destroyed, and they were scattered. And two times the temple was destroyed like that. The other was 70 A.D. by the Romans. And uh, I'm pointing all this out to let you know here. That this this is all a testimony of the word of God being true. It's accurate. Amen. I was in Israel about 25, 26 years ago. And uh, there was these Ethiopians. Ethiopians. Dark skinned Sort of small people. And they were everywhere. And they, they didn't walk. They ran. They ran. And they said these are Ethiopian Jews. These are Jews who had been taken by the Assyrians way back there. I'm talking about now 2,700 years ago, and they still were worshiping as they knew God back in that Old Testament. And they were called Ethiopian Jews. And they brought them back to Israel. And these people, like I say, they never walked. They never walked. They ran. Everywhere they were, they ran, ran, ran. They had no knowledge of modern stuff hardly. They thought they were in a bird when they were flying on planes coming to Israel. And yet, they get on the computer and they become whizzes. They're like, I mean, geniuses on, on computers. And Israel made an army out of them and said they were the fastest army that they had. They could, they could move that army from one place to the other faster because they ran everywhere. They said, okay, take your, take your army group and take them over there. And they'd run all day and night and they'd get there. I mean, they were just really an amazing people. And I saw them running everywhere. They were just trotting, trotting, you know, not running hard, just trotting. And... Uh, So they got these people all over the world like this, and they brought them into Israel. I won't go any further with that. That's a study within itself. I want to show you what happened, though, when they were scattered in that second captivity by Nebuchadnezzar in 606 BC when when Judah was conquered. That's why the the Israelites are called Jews, because it comes to the word Judah, and so they were conquered then. Uh, by, the, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want you to look with me, if you would, in Daniel chapter 2. And I want you to look at t- uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody with me? Daniel 2, 1. I'll, sh- I'll put some more charts up here in a moment. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherein his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Now, I'm not going to read all of this to you. I'm just going to highlight it for you. But Nebuchadnezzar said, I want to know what my dreams mean. He called all the soothsayers, the astrologers, uh, the Chaldeans, all the wise men, everybody together with him. And he said, I want you to tell me what my dream uh, means. They said, tell us the dream. He said, the dream's gone from me. I don't remember everything about it. I don't remember a lot about it. You tell me what I dreamed. I'll know you will know the interpretation of the dream. They said, you're asking an impossible question. Unless you can tell us the dream, we can't give you the interpretation of it. He said, if I told you what the dream was, then you could tell me anything and say, that's the interpretation of it. He said, unless you know the dream, you don't know the interpretation. And so they started drawing back at the king, and the king said, all right, that's it for every one of it. Have them all killed, every one of the wise men. Well, Daniel, a young man, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were among these wise men brought in, and they were to be tutored and instructed and to be taught in the Chaldean way. And so they were among the wise men. So word came to Daniel. And so uh, the, the man who brought it to Daniel said to Daniel, Daniel, they're going to take all over. He said, that's me and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's us too. We're, yeah, he said. Daniel says, tell the king, wait just a little bit and let me talk to God. And so he went even himself before the king. This is verse 16. This is 2.16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Daniel told him that. Now, folks, here is a teenage young man. This is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar now. So Daniel had to have been probably and they estimate to be around 17 years old. So here's a young man about 17 years old and he goes before God and he prays. And look at verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed God of heaven, and then uh, he said, "Okay, I'm ready to." And then verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said, "Thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation." And so Daniel went in, and he said to the king, "You know, you know, this. You're a great king, and you're this and that and everything, and." uh, here's what he says in verse 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. He even told him what he was thinking because God had showed that to him. Folks, God's in control of everything. And uh, he said, While you, when you went to bed, you got to thinking about what's going to happen after I'm gone. This kingdom, this great kingdom I've got, what's going to happen about it all? So, as for as thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known unto thee what shall come to pass. In other words, God is going to show you through me what will come to pass afterwards. And he told that king right from get go, this is what you were thinking. And the king had to say to himself, dear Lord, that's exactly what I was thinking when I went to sleep that night. You know. Okay. So he really had his attention. Everybody with me now? Verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his, his feet of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that, that a stone was cut out without hands. Now while the image was sitting there in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, We often call it Daniel's image, but it really was Nebuchadnezzar's image that he saw in the dream. And he said, while you saw this image, he said, a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the the the, uh, the the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth this is the dream and we will tell thee the interpretation thereof before the king now before I go any further let me show you a, a, a drawing here and this is what uh, basically what he saw uh, it'll it'll come on just a second this is the uh, this is a drawing this is a man's drawing this is uh, Clarence Larkin's drawings of this uh, of this image here the Clarence Larkins lived back in the early part of the 20th century and uh, his, his the rights to all of his material books charts diagrams everything is held by his grandson and his granddaughter now. His grandson uh, has a, a, a winter home uh, right in, down here in Bayside Lakes. And uh, he was here several years ago. And uh, he heard that I taught and I used some of his, his grandfather's charts. And he asked to have lunch with me. And so we had lunch down there at Bayside Lakes. Uh, it used to be uh, soprano, soprano, soprano's. And I don't know what it is now. But anyhow, we ate there and talked. And when he got through, he sent to me every chart and every book and every diagram that Clarence Larkin had ever made. He sent that to me. He said, this is a gift from me to you. He said, I respect you and appreciate you because you use my grandfather's materials and everything. And he says, uh, they're copyrighted, but he says, you use whatever you have. Just don't, copy, just don't print them and sell them. He said, you print them and hand them out. It's Okay. So anyhow, I got some little authority. I got a verbal authority on it. So this is Larkin's picture here. So this is the image that he drew out. This is the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver here. And this is the belly and the thighs of brass. And then the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay are down here at the bottom. You can see, I guess you can barely see it right here. Push it up a little bit. And this is... uh, You know where it is. Now, to understand this image, uh, he goes on to say, here's what's going to happen. Here's the interpretation. Everybody ready for the interpretation? All right. This is what Daniel told him. In verse 38, I'm going to read the last line in verse 38, chapter 2 of Daniel. Daniel 2, 38, the very last line. I'm just saving time here. Thou art this head of gold. Everybody see that? Thou art this head of gold, he says to Nebuchadnezzar. He goes on to say, You know, you're a great king and you have and this and you're that and everything, and so much of you. What a great ruler you are. And then he says, Thou art this head of gold. So, you, in other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you and Babylon, being the king of Babylon, you're this head of gold up here. And this part of this image here represents what you are and your, your doings and so forth. Then he goes on to say, Now, this is important here. Verse 39 And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass. In other words, the second one was silver. The next one is brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. So he's talking about here, This image having this uh, this fourth kingdom that'll be that'll be very very oppressive. Verse forty-one. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the clay. And then he goes on to say here in verse 42, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now, let me just give you some information on this. I'm going to follow through here with what these these nations represented. If we turn this sideways like this, we get a picture and understanding here of a timeline. Starts with Babylon, then another kingdom conquers Babylon. Another kingdom conquers this second kingdom and so forth. Now here is the way history has recorded it. Uh, Hindsight is better than foresight. And so here is the way, uh, this is another chart I'm giving you here. Everybody still with me? All right. The head of go is Babylon. The Media Persian, which is Iran today, Iran today, the Media Persian Empire followed Babylon and conquered Babylon. And that was done while Daniel was still living. And then the Grecian Empire later conquered the Media Persian Empire under Alexander the Great. That's all history. You can read it in history, it's very detailed, very thorough. And the Bible is so remarkably in line with it all. And the Grecian Empire was later conquered by the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was the one that had the legs of iron. And then it says, and following that Roman Empire, there shall be the feet and the toes, which is iron mixed with miry clay. Now, this is a very interesting part that we're going to be looking at here. If we were to use this on a timeline basis and uh, we were to do it on the sideways thing that I showed you a while ago, uh, it could look something like this, and I know that looks like a you know, jambalaya there, a pot of jambalaya, crawfish pie, and all that. <laughs> the head of gold, chest of silver, bat, legs, so forth. This is a timeline here, showing you how these things sort of line up here, and so forth. I won't go in a lot of detail on this yet, but I just want to talk to you here, mainly here, about where this will take us toward the end, because you and I, I'm looking at the clock over there. You and I are down here at the feet of this. And this is what the Lord told Daniel. And it was called the times of the Gentiles. And it started in 606 BC. It's called the time of the Gentiles. Uh, if, if you'll show us here, I think it's on, on the overhead here, this scripture. Uh, give us uh, Luke uh, 21, 24. 21, 24. Brethren, if you look at this verse of scripture... A minute here 21 24 they shall they shall fall by the edge of the sword speaking of the Jews here and there and it's, this is a prophecy of Jesus here saying that they would fall by the edge of the sword speaking of the Jews and that, that happened in 70 AD Jesus spoke of this in 30 AD and then it was 40 years later it happened they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations That's Israel again the second time captured and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled Times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Notice that phrase, the times of the Gentiles, and that it would be fulfilled. And it all began here in Daniel chapter 2 here where he talked about this image. These were Gentile empires that would rise and one would supersede another, one would supersede another, and so forth. Uh, look at also Romans chapter 11, brethren, and give us that one, Romans eleven twenty-five. 25. Look at Romans eleven twenty-five 25. It's a confirmation to Luke eleven twenty. Uh, here it is. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of, my, of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So what we are in now is the times of the Gentiles. And it began whenever Israel was conquered and there was no more Israel in the land of Canaan except they were just vagabonds, they were, they were just farmers, shepherds, They were not a nation. They were not a powerful nation like they were with David and Solomon. And so they were subject to other Gentile powers. And from 606 B.C. until today, Israel has always been subject to other Gentile powers and still are. I know they want to be independent, but they are not. And every time they feel like they can be, they realize that they can't be. Uh, I don't know whether you know this or not, but uh, Israel recognizes Jerusalem as their capital city. They're the only nation in the world that recognizes Jerusalem as their capital, Israel. Uh, every nation, including, including the United States, recognizes Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel. And that's every nation in the world recognized Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel, but not Israel. They say, no, Jerusalem is the capital. Because they want desperately to be an established nation with its own right, but they're not there yet. They're not there yet. They want to be, they're trying to be, and they're hoping to be, but they're not there. I'm just telling you all of this because we are still under that time of the time of the Gentiles. And when the Lord began to reveal this unto Daniel, he began to show Daniel some things going on now I want to uh show you a couple of things here in Daniel chapter 2 that has to do with uh this uh, time of the time of the Gentile down here at the end and this is where we are now we have gone through the Roman Empire we've gone through the Holy Roman Empire which was the dominion of the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church over Eastern Europe and Western Europe and eventually in South America and so forth and uh then the Protestant element came along and so forth. It's still, you know, still Christianity, so-called. But it still has come. we're down here now toward the feet, and it's made of, uh, it's made of iron and clay. And here's a, a characteristic of this end time. This is where we are today. And this will help you to understand what's going on today. Everybody still with me? Because I know I've only got about ten, five minutes left here. Look with me, if you would, please, uh, in... Uh, Chapter 40, verse 41 And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but thou shalt be in the strength of the iron. In other words, no matter what it's made of, the iron is going to be strong, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken or divided. It's going to be strong. But it'll have its, it'll have its, it it won't be united. Everybody with me on that? Strong, but not united totally. And uh, this is what it's bearing out. Uh, Usually an empire had to be very united for it to be strong in in olden times. In modern times, a nation or a country or an area can be very united at the same time be very fragmented, very fragmented. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. Now, look at this verse. This is a very interesting verse. Look at verse 43. I'm going to give you a, an understanding of this verse. You have to know, maybe, maybe if you know a little Latin, this will help you. I don't know Latin, but if you did, it'd help you. Because in Latin, languages are backwards. To me, There, I'm English, you know. Like when I fell off the horse, you know, I said he spoke Spanish. I spoke down in South America. He spoke, he spoke uh, Spanish, and I spoke English. We didn't understand each other. I said, wrong way, Jose. He thought I said, on delay, Jose. <laughs> he took off running too fast. Threw me off. All right, so much for that. I don't know Spanish and all that, but I just know a little bit about the language and everything. So me, they're, they're sort of backwards. You put the, what is it, the nominative ahead of the, 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 the verb, you know, or reverse it so forth, the nominative and the objective. You people that are English scholars can work on that better than I can for sure. But look at this verse in 43. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with the clay. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Who, what is that? The understanding of that is to reverse that. The seed of men shall mingle themselves. That's how, that's how you just reverse it. The seed of men shall mingle themselves with themselves. That's understood. The seed of men shall mingle themselves with themselves. So what you have here in the modern times down at the feet and toes is that you have a mingling of nationalities, of languages, of cultures, of, uh, of, of and races too, of course. And, uh, and, and everything, just everything's put together. And religions, you know, you've got, you've got the Christianity, you've got the Catholic Christianity, you've got the You've got, you got the Catholic Christianity, then you've got the Greek Orthodox Christianity, then you have the Protestant religion, and then you've got now, you've got the Muslim religion, you have the Jewish religion, you have all this mingled together. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So in these last days, you have a mingling together. And so while we are strong in this unity, there's also the fragmentations of it. That's why you're going to keep seeing demonstrations, and you're going to see riots, and we're starting to see some of that in America today. For the first, They've been having that overseas for a long time. And they've had it in Europe. And I can remember years ago when they had it between the Labor Party and the, uh, and, the, the, uh, and the capitalism. Capitalism and labor was always at it, just like that. How many of you old-timers remember that kind of stuff? I know some of you. Uh, don't show your hands, you're showing your old-timers. <laughs> but they used to go at it all the time. I was working up north one time and I... And I was, uh, went down to go to work, working in a, a factory where they made bumpers for automobiles. And uh, I went to work one morning, and uh, they had, uh, had a picket line. You didn't dare cross it. <laughs> all these people, they were mad at all. And they had signs out, and everybody was just spitting 20 penny nails. And they said, hey, go on in if you want. I said, no way, no way. I'm not going in. I have nothing. I have no reason to go in. You know, I mean, anybody could go any if they want to, but you wouldn't, be a, you wouldn't be liked by your fellow workers after that time for sure. This is a wildcat strike, you know. But they had that stuff going all the time back then. So I'm just telling you, you're going to see more of it. every more. If, you if you're doing it, let not your heart be troubled. The Bible says, and I'm going to read one in Luke here to you. Everybody with me? Here's Luke uh, 21, 9. And this is also recorded in Mark and in Matthew. He says here, but when you shall hear wars and commotions, be not terrified for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It's not by and by. And uh, one of them says not yet, so forth. And so this is, like I say, is recorded in other scriptures. And these things will come to pass. When you see them, you say, you know what? It's a sign of the end time. It's a sign of the end time. Amen. And uh, I won't go into this any further, but when you, we go to the seventh chapter and our time is gone, we're going to be looking at the 7th chapter of Daniel because when Daniel gave the interpretation here and uh, finally he gave the interpretation of the stone that smote him on the feet. Let me jump to that real quick. Verse 45, whereas thou sawest, I'm in 245 here, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the, the great God of heaven had made known to the king what shall come to pass here And the dream is certain. And the interpretation thereof is sure. And in the 7th chapter, he goes on to say that this is God's kingdom that will be set up. This is interesting. an interesting note here in verse 44. I'll go back and read this to you very quickly. 2.44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in peace and and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. That's the kingdom of heaven. And in the days of these kings, that's in this Roman Empire period right here. And that's whenever Jesus came, remember? Jesus came and John the Baptist came preaching, said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, Mark and Luke, uh, or Luke calls the kingdom of God is the same thing, is how it is, which one of the gospel writers are writing it. And then Jesus came on the heels of John the Baptist when he was put in prison and he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's the, so much of the New Testament is all about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, over in uh, the book of of uh, uh, seven fourteen in uh, Romans, it says the kingdom of heaven is joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of heaven is the church age and the Spirit of God that God has given for this dispensation of time that you and I have inside of us. That's the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord! And we have the kingdom of heaven is set up on this earth, and it will never be destroyed. And that's been 2,000 years ago it was set up, and it hasn't been destroyed together. That's why that the Bible says that, you know, the gates of hell shall not destroy it. Upon this church I'll build my, uh, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell uh, shall uh, never destroy it, never prevail against it. And they'll always stand. Stay with the church, folks. Stay in the body of Christ. This is it. Amen. One of these days Jesus is coming back. That stone's going to come out of the mountain, praise the Lord. The Lord is going to come back for his people, for his church. And when he does, hallelujah, every eye shall see him, every tongue shall confess he is Lord in Christ. And the Bible says we'll rise to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm telling you, we're getting close to the time. So when you see all these commotions, all of these uh, disturbances. Uh, And I could go on showing you other scriptures, the riots and and insurrections and all that. When you see all these things coming to pass, just say, Lord, I know it's time for you to come. Don't you be a part of those things. Amen. You stay with the word in the book. Hallelujah. Follow peace with all men. And I want you to know that one of these days, our Jesus is coming back and he's coming soon. Are you ready to go? Are you ready? Let's stand together. Let's give God the praise. Let's lift our hand up in heaven to heaven and let's just say Jesus we love you today. Just thank him right now. Would you thank the Lord with me? Jesus we love you. We thank you. We praise your name. We glorify you Lord. You're great and wonderful and you're greatly to be praised God. We thank you for truth and salvation in Jesus name we pray. Amen.